iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Yo. Technology. What is it all about? The pitch is very simple. Are you ready to change the world? Or do you want a safe job? Everybody here could easily walk and get a job that pays, you know, multiples in cash in any of these, you know, Fortune 10 companies in the Silicon mm-hmm. Valley. But the level of challenge and the creativity and the sheer exhilaration of solving a hard problem mm. is catnip to a really good engineer. Hello and welcome to Danny in the Valley. We are back. It is 2023. I'm full of beans. Ready to take this year by the horns. How was your break? I hope it was as restful and as recharging as mine was. But let's get let's get right into it. The first episode of 2023. And I'm going to start with a question. Did you know that your laptop is lying to you? That your smartphone is lying to you. Well, they are. So you know how every model of any gadget these days, the new ones come out and they talk about the processing power of the latest chip that powers it, etc., etc. But for years now, most of those pronouncements have effectively been false. Because when chips do their work, they heat up. And if they heat up too much, they melt. And you don't have a functioning laptop or phone anymore. So the industry's answer has been to throttle their performance, to make them run at partial, even half their capacity. So all the talk of all this blazing fast speed is, in the real world, an illusion, very often. It's kind of like how your internet provider promises gig speeds but delivers a small fraction of that. So Seshu Madhvapedi is an entrepreneur, and he reckons he has invented a way to change that. Seshu is the founder of a startup out here called Fror Systems. That's F-R-O-R-E. Kind of a mouthful to say. And what they have invented is a chip filled with tiny membranes that vibrate super fast when it's powered on. And what they do is it creates an air current, pulls in the hot air through vents on the top of the chip, and then jets them out the side, removing tons of heat relative to the current solution, which are in laptops, those annoying little whirring fans. And the company has quietly been beavering away on this problem for nearly four years. Uh, They've been awarded a number of patents, built a factory in Taiwan, and so that the first products with these new kind of heat-removing chips, um, these kind of fan replacements, will ship this year inside products. So it's a big deal because they can theoretically improve laptop performance by up to 100% um, simply by offering a better way to remove heat and allowing the chips to actually function the way they're supposed to. And of course, later on, they're eyeing um, smartphones, which the way they remove heat of the, from those is basically just letting it seep out. But again, you can only let that those phones get so hot. So again, they are throttled. All of which is to say, this is a big deal if this works. And Seshu, who's from India, he's a product of the IIT system. He's done a number of startups before, and Floor looks pretty well positioned to potentially build a pretty big company in hardware, which is a no small thing. And so this week, I drove down to their office in San Jose, where I was greeted by a very nice dog, Celine. Uh, she was one of many padding around the office to talk to Seshu about how he got started, why he thought he could pull this off when it required a bunch of breakthroughs that had never been done before, and what it means for your mind and all these devices, which for years have been basically taking it easy because they can't get enough heat out. So it's a fun founder story, and it's a really interesting technology story. So without further ado, here is Seshu Madhava Pedi. I'm hoping I'm saying that right. 
co-founder and CEO of Fror Systems. Enjoy. First of all, thank you for being here. This is actually the first podcast, 2023. So, Oh, I'm the lucky guy. <laughs> yeah, you are. <laughs> Auspicious beginning. Yeah, really. I think this will mean that you'll have a great year, too. <laughs> <laughs> Let's hope. Let's hope. So thank you. So we're here in your office in San Jose. I think we should start here, which is, you know, everybody has our devices and they're all, you know, supposed to be bigger, faster, stronger all the time or smaller, faster, stronger, whatever it may be. But I think this idea, which you guys are addressing, which is really interesting, is that, you know, there's like that nameplate speed or processing capability of, say, your computer, your laptop. Most of it is nonsense or not real, right? I mean, so could you talk about kind of the problem that you're trying to solve and how you came across it initially? Well, the problem is real for sure. And it's a problem to do with uh, thermodynamics. Hmm. You know, people fail to recognize that computers are actually machines that consume a lot of power. It's not all about software, you know, there's hardware and the hardware runs on electricity. And what happens is the computer, when it consumes electricity, all of that is converted into heat. Mm. So a key element of any computing platform is the ability to be able to remove that heat. If you don't remove the heat, the device will just get hotter and hotter and hotter, and right. eventually it might even melt. You know, you'll have a runaway train kind of a situation. Right. So ultimately the product has to be designed, the device has to be designed, so that you're maintaining a thermal equilibrium, okay. which means that the amount of power your computer consumes, or rather your processor consumes, has to be equal to the amount of heat you're able to remove. Right. Or if you look at it differently, you could say the amount of power your process is allowed to consume is limited by the amount of heat the thermal solution right. the device is capable of removing. Right. And so what does that mean practically when we're th thinking about like whatever, my MacBook or my Dell or whatever? I don't know what the kind of, off the top of my head, what the latest kind of gold standard is of processing power. What does that mean relative to what those machines can actually do? I mean, to take a great example, in one of the highest and fastest selling laptops nowadays, it has a processor that can run at 3.5 gigahertz of clock speed. And okay. that's the advertised processor speed. But to run at that speed, the processor requires 20 watts of power. Okay. But the device that you buy it in, which is essentially a 13-inch laptop, mm -hmm. has a thermal solution that's capable of only removing 10 watts of heat. Okay. Which means that the processor, in, instead of having the ability to be able to consume 20 watts, which it requires mm. uh, to run at 3.5 gigahertz, will have to make do with 10 watts of power, which would force the processor to run ha at half the speed. Right. So ultimately, because of the limitations of the thermal solution, your processor is condemned to run at only half, half its advertised half speed. Half power. That's correct. And that is not an outlier. That's not an outlier. I mean, we are finding it to be the case in every compute platform out there. Because the processor are getting more and more powerful every year. Yeah. But the thermal solutions that are used in these devices are not getting any better. It's, the, it's a fan. Yeah, that's the reason why it's not getting any better. Because we're used to this cadence of improvement in performance yeah. every year. Moore's Law. Moore's Law. You know, you double the performance every two years. But that only applies to components that are made using semiconductor technology. Mm -hmm. But there are certain things in your laptop, especially the thermal solution thus far have all, always been mechanical. Right. You know, you either use heat sinks and fans, hmm. or you might use things like heat pipes, which are essentially copper and water. Yeah. And all of those things are mechanical solutions using century-old technology, hmm. and they're not getting better at the same rate as the processor speeds are increasing. So the gap between the advertised capability of the processor and the reality of the thermal solution's ability to remove heat is increasing year by year. So let's take the example of, let's say you have 2022 model, yeah. and then you have the 2023 model. The processor might have improved by 50%. Yeah. But if the thermal solution has not improved between 22 and 23, 
the real performance that you'll actually see in the device hasn't changed. Mm. Is this a relatively new problem? Because as you talk about Moore's Law, right? Right. Every 18 months to two years, processing capacity doubles, etc. That's been happening for decades. Correct. When did we reach a point where it was like, actually, those improvements are outstripping just the realities of like, well, you can only jam so many fans into a computer. That's right. When did we reach that point when, you know, like the, the processing capability kind of ran away from our ability to actually utilize it? That's a great question. The answer to that is multifold. It depends on the size of the device. Mm. You hit the problem sooner in devices that are smaller. Because when the device is smaller, right. your ability to be able to have a thermal solution that can remove heat is limited. Mm. So the processor hits the wall much earlier in smaller devices mm. rather than in larger devices. But ultimately, uh, the problem is ubiquitous. Mm. And it, it's really gotten much worse in the last five to 10 years. Right. And the reason is because of the so-called Moore's Law slowdown. Mm. Moore's law has a corollary, which is, you know, it's not just about increasing the number of processors in a square centimeter of die area. It's also about how much power is consumed per square centimeter of uh, silicon. When Moore's law was working well, you had improvements in uh, power efficiency. Yeah. So even though you double the number of transistors, you did not double the amount of power those transistors consumed. It's called Dennett scaling. So there is an advantage that as you move to more and more advanced manufacturing geometries, you not only increase the number of transistors, but also you increase the power efficiency of those transistors. Right. But once Moore's law has slowed down, that power efficiency has evaporated. Hmm. So now when you have a processor that has got more transistors, it's just consuming more power as well. Right. So the latest and greatest processors are consuming more power, in order to deliver higher performance. And that has become increasingly the case in the last five to 10 years. And that's what I think is so interesting. It's kind of like, a, it reminds me a little bit of um, broadband speeds, where it's like, well, you're a, this is gig speed or whatever, and then you actually test it, and it's like a quarter or something. But people get very obsessed, and companies market this idea of like, well, this is super fast internet, super fast whatever. But the reality is not that. It feels like that's what's happening or has been happening in computing for, sounds like, years now. There's an analog. The, clearly, mm. it's very similar. Because when you measure the so-called speed, you're mm. doing it in isolation, not as an end-to-end -end system. Yeah, yeah. And it's also the case in 5G uh, phones, by the way. Mm. You know, the latest technology for smartphones is 5G. And they're advertising, you know, gigabits per second of speed. Yeah, yeah. It's true, that's the spectral efficiency, but the actual speed that you would experience as a user is considerably less. And even if you express the gigabits of speed, you would only experience it for a few seconds. Right. Because after that, because of uh, thermal problems, uh, the speed gets to be much lower. How many patents are on the wall? Not quite as many as we have actually been awarded. Right. <laughs> There's a time gap between when patents right. are awarded and right. when we actually be able to get the certificates. Right, right, so right. I mean, we're a four-year-old company and we've been filing fundamental patents for everything we make, hmm. everything that goes into making our device. And so these patents, uh, you know, I think we've been awarded so far. We've filed scores of, uh, you know, yeah. you mentioned disclosures and slowly they've turned into patent awards. And I think we've got double digits of patent awards awarded already. I'd love to talk about these little chips, which I'm looking at on your desk right, right now. Because four laptops today, basically, as you say, it's fans or some other kind of old school technology, basically, to extract heat. Correct. Which have their limits. What is it that you have created that is different and why is it better? Well, we've created a chip that removes heat. That doesn't sound like those two things go together. Well, we've expanded the definition of what a chip <laughs> is. <laughs> Chips are usually viewed as things that can do computations. Yeah, yeah. And to remove heat, it's always been fallback on mechanical devices yeah. like fans. Yeah. So we asked ourselves the question, why can't you create a chip that removes heat? Mm. Why does it have to be a fan? Mm. There are many advantages to using a chip to remove heat. Because that would mean that it's much smaller in size, mm. silent, mm -hmm. 
And also, you are now on a technology path where every generation you can improve the performance. Yeah. You know, create our own law, like Frost law, similar to Moore's law, right, 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 where right. we could uh, double the performance every two years. Hmm. So you would then be on the same innovation slope yeah. as uh, other components in the computer. Right. So then there will be no more processor throttling uh, happening. So right. we wanted to fundamentally make a, a big shift in how you create thermal solutions so that you can deliver something that uh, matches up mm. with the rate of innovation that's happening in processors. Right. So we had to create not only a new design for how these chips are designed, but also how these chips are manufactured because mm. they're a completely new category of chips that are not chips that are created for processing, but chips that are created for removing heat. Right. So I'm looking at this chip right here, and it has, it's about the size, maybe one and a half times size of like an SD card, for example. I right. think of an SD card because that's what's in this recorder right now. And it has these like little like slits on the top and then a big copper plate on the bottom. Yeah. And it also has some like, looks like some vents out the end of one side. How does this thing remove heat and why, how much better is it than a fan? Well, depending on the size of the fan. Yeah. If you look at uh, what uh, I'm holding in my hand, yeah. which as you said, it's about actually the size of a US half dollar coin. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. And so this removes about five watts of heat. Mm -hmm. To put that in context, it would be the equivalent of a fan that's, you know, over here. If you could see this fan that, I'm, yeah. uh, that I've got on my table, you know, you can see that it's about, the chip is about quarter the size of the fan. Yep. And it would have the same thermal performance. Mm -hmm. But this fan makes a lot of noise. Yeah. And our chip is completely silent. Mm. So we are reducing the thickness by 50%, mm -hmm. volume by 75%, mm -hmm. making it quieter, but yet delivering the same thermal capability. Right. So you so can pack happens, two or three or four of those into the same space. Exactly. So the same space that the fan is taking up you can put four of these chips. Mm -hmm. And if each of these chips is as capable as the fan, then you basically got four times the performance in the same space. Mm. That's our promise. And the knock-on effect from that is that you don't have to throttle your chip inside your computer. It can perform 100% better, for example. Yeah, because if you want the processor to perform 100% better, you need to improve the thermal solutions capability by 100%. Right. Because ultimately, thermal solution is what's is the, is the, the is ceiling the, yeah. for your processor performance. Right. And I've just shown you an example where basically we could potentially improve the thermal performance by four times. Yeah. So, yeah. So, it, it basically, using the same space that the fan uses, we can deliver anywhere from 100 to 200% higher thermal uh, capability. And so... Briefly, how does it actually work? You have the slits in the top, the copper on the bottom. How does that basically do what a fan does? Well, it does more than what a fan does. Right. Because the fan only blows air. Yeah. It doesn't remove heat. Right. The way heat is removed is uh, you, have, you, know, you have the fan, mm -hmm. and in front of the fan, you have what is called a fin stack, mm -hmm. which is basically like a radiator grill. Mm -hmm. So the radiator grill gets hot. Yep. And... The fan blows air through the radiator grill, and as the air flows through the radiator grill, it picks up heat. Yep. So the fan in itself is not a heat-removing device. It's an air-blowing device. Yeah, yeah. But what we have here, this chip, is a heat-removing device. Mm. It uses air, no doubt, but it's a self-contained entity. Mm -hmm. So the way it works is when you power it on, this mm. chip, it creates a huge suction force okay. because it has tiny vibrating membranes inside the chip. Okay. Inside the chip is a cavity. And you can see that the chip itself is 2.8 millimeters in thickness, super thin. Yeah. But within that thickness, it has a cavity inside. And inside that cavity, we have vibrating membranes that are vibrating at ultrasonic frequencies. And as they vibrate, they create this tremendous suction force that pulls air through the vents at mm -hmm. the top and that air flows through the chip, and as it flows through the chip, it picks up the heat. Mm -hmm. And then it exits sideways right. out of the chip. Right. And as the air is exiting out of the chip sideways through the spout, 
you make sure that that hot air exits from the device hmm. and then fresh air is pulled into the device. Got you. And so there's a continuous flow of air that is created when the chip is powered on because of the suction force that the chip is generating hmm. that automatically creates this unidirectional airflow where cool air is pulled into the device and into the chip hmm. and then hot air is expelled out through the spot. So inside there, there's these, I imagine, almost invisible to the naked eye membranes that are vibrating. Uh, they are visible to the naked eye, yeah. okay. <laughs> but they're vibrating at uh, pretty high amplitudes. Right, right, right. So that's the innovation. You know, mm. This is a multi-physics design mm. that uh, converges structural, acoustic, fluidic, and electrical resonance. So it's a very complex material science and mechanical engineering and electrical engineering yeah, problem. It looks super simple, though. It's just a little <laughs> <That's> rectangle. <right. laughs> but that required some fundamental breakthroughs mm. uh, in terms of uh, bending the will of physics to what we wanted to achieve. Right. Uh, so people ask me all the time, you know, so was the university research that was the underpinning of what you did? Yeah. The answer is, you know, surprisingly, No. You know, we created everything from scratch in this company. So that feels like a lot to take on. And, you know, one of the great sayings out here is hardware is hard. How did you get to the point of like, actually, I'm going to start this really hard company that's going to require several breakthroughs and I'm not sure it's possible. And you mentioned before we started recording, you have your family in San Diego, you're up here in San Jose. It feels like this is like a big leap and not at all clear that it was actually going to work when you started that's correct. So why'd you do it? <laughs> <laughs> it's a problem that requires solving. Mm. And it's not just me. It's also my co-founder, mm. Surya. He and I were both uh, executives in Qualcomm before we started this company. While I was based in San Diego, where Qualcomm's is headquartered, yeah. Surya was always working for Qualcomm, but in the Bay Area. I see. Uh, he lives in Los Altos. So it was a question of either starting the company here or in San Diego. And we chose uh, right. San Jose because it's a much better environment to, to start a company here in the Silicon Valley. Right. So where are you from originally? From India. Which part? <laughs> I was born in Hyderabad, which is in South India. Did you go to I one of the IITs? <laughs> yes, I did. Yes. So did Surya. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. How was that experience? I'm always fascinated by the IIT story because it just feels like it's such a pressurized, difficult thing. It sounds like to get in. And then once you're there, it sounds like it's also very hard. Was it hard to get in? Do you remember studying for that? Like, how did you get in? Oh, I could tell you stories about studying for the IIT exam. <laughs> I, I grew up, you know, I was born in Hyderabad, but I grew up in a very small town, Vijayawada. Hmm. And getting into IIT was kind of like a, a dream beyond our grasp. Yeah. Uh, because there wasn't anybody in town who actually went to IIT. What was happening in the town? What kind of town was it? Well, it was a small town. In, you know, you could call it kind of like a parochial town. Hmm. And, you know, there were colleges. We would, you know, high schools and, uh, you know. Uh, what did your parents do? Well, my, my dad was an uh, engineer and my mom was a teacher. Oh, okay. Uh, so I had very good, you know, support mm -hmm. from a family to to spend spend my time studying and nothing yeah, else. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> but it required it required real focus and dedication. I was a good student, but I never thought that even a good student from a small town had a chance of getting into the IITs. Yeah. But uh, thought I would give it a shot and worked hard and studied. And how does it work? You 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 go you as a graduate you graduate high school. And then you take like, what, a year off to study for the exams? No, no. I, I, we didn't, I didn't do that. I graduated from high school and that summer I took the exam. Okay. What was the prep like for that process? Well, prep, you know, prep was all by myself, you know, mm. sitting at home. I probably spent, I would say, two to three hours every day mm. studying for IIT for two years. For two years? Yeah. And that is in addition to your high Everything school Everything else, right. How big a deal is it when you get in? It's a big deal. It's a big deal because, you know, I mean, I, I don't know, percentage-wise, you know, it's ridiculously low. It's in, like 0.1% yeah. or 0.01% yeah. or something like that. Right. So I had no idea that I was good enough to get in. We took the exam. I didn't think I did very well. Mm. <laughs> but it turned out that uh, it was good enough. The train is now approaching junction at platform. Passengers, airport, please stay on board. Next stop... 
iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow wherever you are. Tap the banner to go to monday.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. And when you got in, was then, did you move to planning to actually try to, like, make it out here or to start your own company? Or, like, what was the trajectory? You studied there and then what? Well, I applied to grad school in the U.S. Hmm. And that was the thing to do, you know, when you graduated from right. the IITs in those days. And nowadays, you know, there are more options in India. So, you mm-hmm. know, there are lots of high-tech companies. You could start your own company or join a, a large company and have a great fulfilling career. Yeah, yeah. Back in the 80s, when I graduated, uh, there weren't that many options in India. The route was to come out here. There, yeah. So I applied to grad school and I was able to get a teaching assistantship at the University of Texas. And so I, I went there and did a PhD computer science <laughs> right, 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 and right. then started working in the US. So computer science, not kind of phys- some kind of physical engineering, because this is a very physical engineering. Well, in right? IITs, we do physical engineering. And then ah, for I graduate I school, I, I moved to uh, computer, science. computer science. So it's kind of going back to my roots. <laughs> right, 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 right. I see. So, yeah, there's been such a huge explosion of opportunities in computer science and in semiconductor hardware. Hmm. That's where we built our careers. Mm -hmm. But there's a lot of talent in software and also in semiconductor hardware. Mm. But the problem we are trying to solve now is uh, orthogonal to uh, those two competencies. And that might be the reason why it had been left unsolved. Right. Because people tend to flock and follow the herd. Yes. So... Having had fairly successful careers in computer science and semiconductors, we wanted to really take on a problem that was a real challenge. Mm. And we felt that we've had the experience and the knowledge to make a go at it. So you went to, you ended up in Texas, you got a PhD in computer science, and then where'd you go to work? Well, I worked in telecoms. I worked at uh, Nortel Networks mm-hmm. for eight years. And then I quit and started my... Through the dot-com boom and bust? Uh, uh, well, I... Because Nortel wasn't... I wasn't Nortel s- one of the, like, the massive, huge successes and then the massive crash after? It did. I left Nortel in November 2000. And that was at the... T- I'm trying to remember if that was oh, good Okay, that was at the peak of the boom. <laughs> right, right. Oh, wow. So I was very lucky that, that I timed the... Did you manage perfectly. to sell out when you left? <laughs> of course, yes. <laughs> oh, you so wow. Yeah. Well done. So I well think done. I think when I left uh, and sold my stock, the share price was at like eighty bucks. Eventually, it ended up at like twenty five cents or something. A couple of years later, yeah, and it went bankrupt. Sad story. Oh my, oh yeah. my goodness. Yeah, because I remember writing about Nortel as it was one of the great kind of phoenix stocks, and then it just it was. It ended up, yeah, crashing back to earth. Yeah, little did I know that was going to be the story had I stayed. Yeah. But uh, I left Nortel and started my first startup. Mm. I did two startups in telecoms in the early 2000s. From 2000 to 2008, I did two startups in telecoms. And after that... How'd they go? They went very well. I mean, you know, we built great products that were successful and both the companies got acquired by larger companies. Uh, so we had pretty good exits. But after doing those two startups, and previously to that, having worked at Nortel, I've had my fill of telecoms. So I wanted to move into semiconductors. Mm. So I joined Texas Instruments, and after that, Samsung, and after that, Qualcomm. 
Right. So I actually had a second career in semiconductors. So Qualcomm is what brought you out to California. That's correct. Right. You could argue I did 15 years of telecoms and then I did 10 years of semiconductors. Right. And no, I'm doing neither. <laughs> right, 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 right. I'm right. building a chip that's using, you know, fundamentally new manufacturing techniques and materials and is a chip like no other. And so from those early startups, what are the battle scars? Are there any hard learned lessons from that or, you know, good and bad? I'm sure there's both that you've brought with you. Yes. <laughs> you really need to like the team you work with. Mm. And they need to be complementary to your own capabilities. So I've been extremely fortunate with this startup yeah. to first uh, have Surya as my co-founder. He's a CTO. He's a complete genius when it comes to material science and mechanical yeah. engineering. I mean, we've got a tremendously talented team that we've been able to uh, have join us on and this journey. And many dogs out there as well. Uh, yeah. They're actually, <laughs> they're actually, they, they provide us with uh, not only entertainment and uh, happiness, yeah. but they actually also serve a great purpose here in the company. They, you know, we should actually have them up on our website as, as <laughs> test engineers. <laughs> and so when you started this company, or when you came up with the pitch, how was it? Because also, as, as I said earlier, I mean, VCs generally don't want to invest in hardware because it's harder and it takes longer. And also chips in particular, especially in the U.S., has been in the past 20 plus years has been a process of diminution in terms of actual chip startups, chips producing, being produced out here. A lot of it's gone overseas. And obviously there's a big movement right now to kind of reshore and kind of bring the industry back to life. But how was that process for you in terms of actually coming up with the pitch and then trying to raise money for it? Surprisingly easy. <laughs> We've been very fortunate. And mm. I'll explain to you why. So there have been, you know, a lot of companies that have been trying to build chips. But when you build a chip in the traditional sense, mm. you're competing against the Qualcomm's and the NVIDIA's and the Intel's of the world. And the stakes are very high. Yeah. The investments you have to make in order to be able to create a cutting-edge chip that can actually compete with these companies is massive. Because you've got to go and use the, the latest process node, as yeah, they yeah, say, yeah. You know, from TSMC. And uh, you know, each tape, tape out costs you hundreds of thousands of dollars, if not millions. Yeah. So it's, it takes too much of an investment to get to the level where you're competitive. Mm -hmm. But we've taken a completely greenfield problem mm -hmm. that you know, we have developed our own manufacturing techniques for this because TSMC cannot produce our chip. Right. However... People think that, okay, if you have to build your own fab, then that means that you'll need billions of dollars. Yeah. For us, the answer is no. Hmm. Because when you're trying to do something new, you have the advantage that you don't need to get as sophisticated as you might be 20 years later. Hmm. Right? So think about us as at the birth of the processor industry. It can be pretty rough and ready, right? That's right. right. Because what we're doing is competing against 100-year-old technology. Yeah. So, you, you know, anything that is semiconductor manufacturing based is better than you're, you're, you're competing approach. against like <laughs> janky old fan technology as opposed to the latest wafer from correct. TSMC. Correct. Right. So therefore the level of investment you need for us right. to create the product is actually less, but right. you do need the right level of talent and experience. Mm. And between Surya and I, we've have, we have that. Right. So what attracted the investor community is the team, mm the importance of the problem we are solving mm. and also the approach we are taking, which is completely new. Mm. So therefore would not require as large an investment. Yeah. And secondly, would be a huge moat in terms of fundamental breakthroughs that we would be creating that we would be able to patent and also own as trade secrets right. to make it much harder for other people to follow us. That's the landscape. And then, of course, we've been very lucky that we met uh, Navin Chadda mm -hmm. from Mayfield. On the pod last year, yes. Oh, great. Yeah, yeah, great. Yeah, yeah. I mean, fantastic guy. Yeah. So uh, we had the fortune of meeting him because he also happens to be an IIT alumni. Yeah. So, so we, we got acquainted with him through the IIT alumnus network. Uh, alumni is, there, network. is that quite an active community out here? It is, yes. Right. Very much so. 
and he was kind enough to take a meeting with us mm. uh, more to give us advice as opposed to really actively looking at investing in right. us my but, advice don't start a chip company <laughs> <laughs> but after a couple of meetings he became a, right. a big fan of what we're trying to do and he was the seed investor in our company right and right right so we were very fortunate that we met him you know he's a visionary and he really believes in the renaissance of silicon yeah in silicon valley right and how much have you raised now so far we've raised 116 million dollars right of which we've spent about a third so oh, wow. we've got plenty of uh, cash in hand so that gives you you know we've got a shipping product and we've spent less than 40 million dollars so far right so that gives you a sense of the kind of investment it takes to build this but it's not the amount of money it's the ability for us to be able to traverse mm. multiple disciplines and domains mm. and do that in a small team that has the right level of talent in each of these disparate uh, areas of technology right that's right, right. the the true genius of this company right and so where are you in terms of the actual business so you've designed these you've got all these patents where are these made Good question. You know, as I said, we manufacture it ourselves. Mm -hmm. So we've created a fab for this product in Taiwan. We okay. built it from scratch. Oh, wow. And it's now fully functional. Wow. Uh, we are manufacturing these uh, chips. Uh, we have the ability to manufacture about a million of these chips per month right now. And so we currently have what are called commercial samples, which mm -hmm. means that they're fully performing samples that are coming out of our manufacturing line that we are shipping to our customers who are using those chips to design into their next generation products. Well, that's what I was going to say. Yeah. So do you have customers yet? In other words, when will these be out in the wild in like the next laptop I buy will be actually being able to do what it says it can do, but doesn't? You know, currently. Well, when you have this chip, it will do what it exactly. says it can do. So how, so because I, that's another interesting question is trying to get components into the whole supply chain of a big laptop maker, for example. I imagine that's not an easy thing, especially when you're replacing something fundamental like cooling. You're right. It's a 12 to 18 month cycle, but mm. we've engaged with these customers quite early in mm. our product development. So they've seen the evolution of our technology over the last couple of years, and they've been testing it nonstop. So we've actually been very fortunate. You know, there's a huge hunger in the industry mm. for a new disruptive innovative thermal solution because there hadn't been any yeah. over a century. And everybody knows that this is the issue. Heat is the enemy. It's the mm. issue that is preventing you from realizing the full potential of your processor. So they have been very supportive. The industry has been tremendously supportive of our company. Mm. And so this journey is not something we've been doing on our own. Right. So now that we have a commercial product, they're primed to now in introduce it into their uh, computing platforms. So we expect that they will be launching commercial products without thermal solution incorporated in them in mm. 2023. Gotcha. So we are very close. Right. And this is still probably, and I don't know what it looks like in a phone. This probably still feels a bit big for a phone. Or is it? Yeah. I mean, it's a size of a half dollar coin. Yeah. I would say it's, yes, definitely too big for a mainstream smartphone. Yeah. But a lot of, there is a niche in smartphones called gaming smartphones. Mm. So a lot of gaming smartphone manufacturers are showing interest in this. Right. But to get into a mainstream smartphone, we are looking at making it thinner and smaller. Mm. And that's something that you'll see in our next generation. Got you. So that's part of the plan. That's part of the plan. Right. But even what I have here, the half dollar size, yeah. you know, you could put this into a smartphone. Right. <laughs> it all depends on how much pain you're feeling. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Because yeah. of heat being the barrier for you to be able to deliver higher performance. Right. But is, this, is the issue the same in smartphones? That like, oh, you know, the, the processor has X capacity, but it's actually Y or X minus... 30% or 50% because of the thermal issue? The issue is actually worse oh, in smartphones. And the reason is because you know, there there's no too fans. small, there are no fans. Yeah. So all you can do to remove heat from a smartphone is basically let it radiate out yeah. from 
the device surface, yeah. device skin. Yeah. But the amount of heat you can radiate out from the device skin is entirely dependent on how hot the skin gets. Mm. And because it's a device that you hold in your hand, yeah, yeah. you can't allow it to get too hot. Yeah. So typically, you limit the temperature of the skin of a smartphone to 42 degrees mm. centigrade. And if the ambient temperature is 25 centigrade, then the difference between the two temperatures determines how much heat you're able to radiate out. Right, right, right. And that is actually four to five watts. It's a very small number. So everything a smartphone does has to fit into that envelope of thermal of four to five watts. That's the tyranny of heat. (laughs) Right, 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 right. So, and these processes are getting more and more powerful. So, you know, if you take the latest processor in a smartphone, Mm. And, you know, it's a very complex, what they call system on a chip. It has, you know, they they say it has eight CPUs, you know, 16 GPUs and 64 Mm. neural network cores, AI cores and so on and so forth. If you ran all of them simultaneously, Mm. it probably required 20 watts. Right. So, and you're limited to four to five. Right, right, right. So you are definitely leaving a lot of performance on the table uh, because of thermal uh, challenges. And so there is a definite need for a, a chip-based solution mm. to address the thermal problem in smartphones. Right. As there is for virtual reality or mixed reality or augmented reality and even IoT devices. Mm. Let's take um, you know, webcams as an example. Mm. Wouldn't you want a webcam that is small enough that, you know, it could fit into your uh, well, as you know, a journalist, if buttonhole. I sneak around and like, yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, the reason you can't yeah. do it is because of heat. Right. The chip is really small. Yeah, yeah. But right. the heat it produces requires a large uh, surface area to remove. Would this have utility in a car? Yes, it would. Because I'm thinking about EVs and obviously it's just a battery on wheels. It you is. Know, it gets very, very hot. Actually, there are two things that get hot, right? I mean, there's more and more computing in a car. Mm-hmm. And so they need to be cooled. Mm. And secondly, battery charging. Mm. Uh, battery charging, the speed at which you charge a battery is entirely determined by how you manage uh, the heat. Yeah. Heat is a ubiquitous problem. Yeah. You know? And wherever heat is generated, you will find that this chip will have an application. But to address all these different markets, we will have to morph and adapt our technology into different SKUs. And that's something we will do over the coming years. When you were developing that and and doing all these patents and trial and error, did you ever think, maybe this is a bad idea, or maybe this isn't going to work, or maybe we've hit a wall? Because as you say, when you start out, you're like, we know this is a problem. We think this might be a solution, but like we have to do a bunch of fundamental breakthroughs and we don't know if that's possible. <laughs> yes, I do have those questions and I allocate, you know, 5 a.m. to 6 a.m. every day <laughs> to, to think about that because the rest of the rest of the day I'm too busy executing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but did, did, were there ever moments like in this development process before you had those things yeah. that I'm looking at on your desk where you're like, oh, man. Maybe we were wrong, or maybe this isn't going to work. I never had that doubt. Mm. It has definitely taken a little longer than I had hoped. Always but does. then, you know, looking back, people say, hey, four years, you solved a fundamental problem. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bottoms up. So four years is not that long. True, but I would have liked to have done it in two. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so, but no, I never had a doubt because I know the capability of the engineering team we have. Mm. I just had to make sure that I point them in the right direction mm. and then help them to believe in themselves and each well, other. I was going to say, for a company like this, what you're trying to do is very hard and kind of physics. Uh, I imagine recruiting is quite important. And we're here in Silicon Valley where lots of big companies with very deep pockets. How hard was recruiting or what, you know, I imagine you had to get a very good pitch to kind of lure the type of people you wanted. The pitch is very simple. Are you ready to change the world? Or do you want a safe job? Right. It's kind of like, you know, the legendary pitch that uh, Jobs made to Scully, you know, people talk about. Which, which was that? There's, ma- there's many. Uh, uh, do you want to sell sugar water all your life? <laughs> or do you want to change the world? <laughs> right. So, yeah, I mean, you know, everybody here could easily walk and get a job that pays, you know, multiples in cash in any of these, you know, 
Fortune 10 companies in the Silicon mm-hmm. Valley. But the level of challenge and the creativity and the sheer exhilaration of solving a hard problem mm. is catnip to a really good engineer. Right. Especially now where we are in the cycle, where it's like, high pipe, high pipe, high pipe, crash. How does the world look for you in terms of talent and kind of the outlook generally for the company, given that we've come, I mean, post-pandemic, it feels like things are crashing back to earth in many sectors quite violently. And lots of layoffs, and it does feel like the landscape has changed. I'm just wondering how, you, if you guys have experienced that. We haven't, because we're still an early stage company yeah. that's just entering the market with a very disruptive and innovative new product. You know, if we had a company that is already much further along in our journey, uh, we probably would have felt it. Yeah. But given that we are still in our infancy, it's not uh, a big problem we faced. Yeah. Mind you, when you have downturns like this, mm. you know, really good companies invest more mm-hmm. in new technology because they see this as an opportunity to separate themselves from their competition. Yeah. And so our potential customers' interest in our technology has strengthened, not weakened because of this. Right. So this year, we'll have the first products with your technology inside on the market. Correct. Four years, that feels like that's pretty good. I mean, I know you say you want to do it quicker, but that's... For something entirely novel, that feels like that's that's pretty good going. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Last question. um, Your worst day of work ever. The worst day of work was when the pandemic hit. Mm. I remember that day, you know, I had just sent out a message to the team saying, we're going to have social distancing, we're going to wear masks, we're going to wash our hands uh, every hour, uh, but we'll continue to start working. Mm. And then three hours later, the city Uh of San Jose basically said, shelter at home. And so I had to send another email saying, sorry, guys. (laughs) <laughs> game changed. We all have to go home. And that was really a tough day because we had no idea when we will be able to come back. Mm. And given that we're a hardware company, it's not something you can do remotely, no. especially it was a year after we started the company. So right, we were just right, scratching right, the right. surface. So you're mostly a pandemic company, right? Like We are mostly a pandemic company. Right. And so it was just, we're just beginning to get an idea about how to actually build this product. And it all came to a screeching halt on that day. Mm. So that was definitely the worst day right, uh, of, right, right. of this company. Would you ever go back to India? Would I you, do. Would you ever move back? Would you ever st- go back there, start a company there? As you say, it's, it's very different uh, from when you left it. True, but it's a little late for that because one of the things I did in Texas, besides getting a PhD, was marry a Texas gal. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> right. So... Uh, yeah. I don't quite see uh, moving no. back to India with my wife and kids. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I love India. My wife loves India. My yeah, kids yeah. love India. So we go back as often as we can, but mostly on vacations. Right, 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 right. Well, look, thank you for taking the time. I really appreciate it. And I wish you luck. Sounds like it's going to be a big year for you. Very busy. It's going to be great. And uh, this is just the beginning. You know, as you can see, the applicability of this technology is ubiquitous. Mm. Uh, Every computer platform has a big enemy, and that's heat. Mm. And the second biggest enemy they have is actually noise, because if you use fans, they become very noisy. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, and the third is they become bulky. Mm -hmm. So we are able to deliver a product that's going to deliver the full potential of the processor, do it silently while making the devices thinner Mm. and also dustproof. That's another big advantage we have for this product. You can, this works inside a dustproof device. Whereas mm. if you use a fan, you've got to have right. a bunch of holes. Uh, of course. And the holes right. not only let air in, but also dust in. Dust in, right, right, right. So right, you right, can right. make it dustproof by using our product. So the, this, is, this is going to change the way people look at computing devices, well, es- especially uh, you know, mobile computing devices. It's funny, anybody who knows... A little bit about technology is probably heard at some point along the way about Moore's Law. But I don't think very many people know that Moore's Law has been basically hamstrung for years now by heat or right. like by fans just not being that good. That's right. They're hamstrung by heat because fans are not good enough. Right. Fascinating. Thank you very much. Appreciate the time. Thank you very much, Danny. It's been a pleasure. Likewise. <laughs> 
And that is all the time we have. I want to thank Seshu for taking the time, for Celine for giving me such a warm welcome at the office. For all of you for, as I said, for listening, for the ratings, for the reviews, please take a moment and do one now if you haven't. It's 2023. New year, new me, who it is, etc. And that is it for me this week. I th- we'll be writing probably a little something about Furore and Seshu in the paper this weekend as well as a bunch of other stuff, so do pick up a copy of the paper or just log on, thetimes.co.uk. You can also find me on Twitter at Danny Fortson, or you can email me, danny.fortson at sunday-times.co.uk. Thank you, thank you for listening. Have a fabulous week, and we will be back next week with another exciting episode. Take it easy. Talk soon. iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.